my grandfather passed away a couple years ago and he left me um, a bunch of books and it's stuff like you know the madness of crowds and um yeah yeah i do too like group group psychology and Mm -hmm. when i was getting really into soccer too like i read a bunch about um like crowd control dynamics and and things like that and you know that famous um incident or infamous incident in the uk like where oh um, the liverpool yes and all the 96 yeah yeah and all those people passed away and you know and they blamed the fans i mean they Mm -hmm. blamed those fans for years decades until it did you watch that documentary on it no i didn't but oh god the 30 for 30 on it is so good oh i should watch it's one of the best it's it's like top three 30 for 30 it's really good but it you know and it comes out in the end that it was just poor poor crowd control like poor design of the um of of, the stadium mm -hmm. of just how they let the the fan like the supporters of like opposing teams in it's just yeah it's yeah it's it's, bad it's so bad and it really like just highlights like how important like crowd dynamics are like how important it is that the the people in charge know what about crowd dynamics because i've i've told the story in like another podcast but um i went to see astro in dallas and um it was in like a you know a theater but um the like the girls in the crowd when they they realized the security wasn't stopping them from moving forward oh no rushed forward people rushed forward and i was in like the front um that because that's where my seat was and i could see the fear like on the members faces like they were terrified Uh there was no that you know security is not doing their job like I mean, we all have seen the stories of, like, the girls. Yeah, getting trampled even... at shows. Like, I've gotten trampled at metal concerts before. Yeah. Like... But I've, I mean, you know, I've seen, um, vi- there's videos of, like, the infamous one of H.O.T., I think, where the fan, mm-hmm. like, rushes the stage and, like, gets on stage. And is it Tony? She, like, hugs Tony. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, but and I have remember. to, like, I yank can't her off. Picture it in my head, but I remember it, yeah. Yeah. And now I just, I can't. I often find myself in the first row at shows just because I I don't want to be aggressive and I end up getting pushed from behind and I'm not willing to elbow people behind me. Um, but it's it's painful and I have to dress accordingly. Um, yeah, didn't you like bruise a rib at that G-Dragon show? Because of that <laughs> was, fan. It was oh so God. bad. At, at one point there was a group of, I mean, thank goodness there were Japanese fans there because they were like pulled me aside. They're like, are you all right? It looks like you got hurt. And I'm being like cursed at by the, the girls in front of me. But the Japanese fans were like, we're here to enjoy this. You see some of the cultural dynamics at play, even in the crowd. Um, but I, I can't, say that I've been in the standing section at an American concert for K-pop, but my experience at rock concerts leaves me to believe I don't want to experience it. I've been, I've been in the standing section for BTS. Um, and this, but this was before, um, there, they kind of really blew up. Yeah. It, it was, it was actually kind of fun. The only bad part that I had was, um, there was a, Korean fan site there who was extremely aggressive and I'm I'm very tall and so I had been trying to kind of like block because I had um, a bunch of like tiny tiny girls like under my watchful eye as I am a you know grown woman and I 
had adopted like a few you know I, maybe you guys oh yeah do yeah, you, yeah, you yeah. like adopt like you know oh, yeah. children oh, yeah. at <laughs> concerts mm-hmm. and so I had this tiny little 14 year old with me who was like at her first concert ever her parents mm-hmm. had just dropped her off Aww. and so I took her under my wing and you know made sure she had water and um and so I had kind of keeping an eye on her in front of me and um yeah this fan line was so aggressive I was like wow and they the security eventually pulled her out which was good but I was like wow 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 was she was she just being like really aggro or just like yelling at you like no she was just being like pushing like really really pushing she wanted to get that camera like up in oh my god yeah yeah and so she was trying to use me as cover I think because I was so tall but that was really the only bad experience I had but that but again that was before they became I mean they were popular at that point but they weren't like you know dynamite popular dynamite like boy band popular right so I went to a Korean hip-hop concert in Seoul and Block B was performing there and it was so interesting to see that they actually um, some of the artists from Highlight actually I think it was Highlight um, stopped the entire concert and called out the K-pop fans and they said look this is a hip-hop concert. We don't do this. We don't tolerate this. This concert will not continue until you take a step back and stop shoving each other and, you know, appreciate the music. Um, and I thought it was interesting how he really pointed to it as a different genre. And, and it was implying that they were guests and they didn't belong. And there was that tension between hip-hop and the K-pop crossover that was... Um, you know, never boring to see it being figured out. I think BTS uh, was a big part of that. I know Block B was another group. Uh, I don't think Big Bang ever really tried to push their hip hop credentials. Um, At but... least not domestically. I don't think they tried to push it domestically. I think maybe they were adopted by hip hop, like fans that enjoyed hip hop, like in um, like sort of the export k-pop circles because they worked with verbal you know in japan oh from yeah M-Flo. Mm, so yeah. i mean i think that's kind of a well a they tell. have that history and they definitely put more of a spotlight on g-dragon and top as rappers in the earlier years of the band but i think by the time it was like 2012 2014 they weren't looking to go and and prove themselves as rappers anymore i think they were more comfortable with where they were and i think it was a smart move because it was it was kind of messy for each band that attempted it well on that note um why don't we pause here for a song and then come back and take some introductions and uh yeah so, um, any any requests for an opening song? I mean, do we want to start with a Big Bang song? We could start with a Big Bang mm-hmm. song. Oh my god, okay. Do I have... Or with a, or with a G-top. We could do, um... Oh my god. <laughs> hi, hi. Oh my god. Oh my gosh. Hi, hi. Oh I'm god. so high. <laughs> oh, I mean... <laughs> Everybody making moves, making moves, then get you. Oh, 
No, I was gonna say it would be appropriate because I've got my celebrity wine, why not glass here. So. <laughs> I was gonna say you had stuff with like the Playboy, because they all have that Playboy oh, logo. Yeah. That, that, I will never get over that. <laughs> just, just as a thing, a thing that like we've exported into the world is Playboy. Well, and I uh, think, um, you know, Winner's Mino has, um, has it tattooed on. Uh-huh. I've... Oh, I, I've seen it. <laughs> At some point, yeah. It's was really... it Winner that I got really into when I was in Beijing that year? I think Winner and Vix. Oh, I love Winner. I just, Winner. like, I started Which, listening no. to. I love I support Winner. those choices. No, you did, oh. because you were like, hey, you need to listen to these groups. And I was like, god damn it. Winner are the best. That's one of my most popular episodes, actually, is my winner episode. Yeah, so let's pause here. And if you're listening to this, hopefully you know who I am, um, the Idol cast. And I'm here today with two guests for the very first time. Um, my return guest, Bridget, from episode 39. And a friend of hers who, at long last, I have a VIP on the podcast. I've been waiting and waiting. And would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, my name is Stevie. I, um, I did Korea studies for my master's degree, focusing on uh, the role of pop culture in nation branding uh, and national narratives. So this is my pleasure, but also a little bit my my professional side, and I'm really excited to, to talk with you. Well, so let's get into it. Um, I think there's one question that everybody's been trying to answer in English-speaking media. Um, we've had the explainers, we've had the academics, um, we now have this new genre of BTSology studies, but um, let's, let's drill right down. What is K-pop? <sighs> How do you want to define that? Yes. I, mean, I mean, that's really what it comes down to, like where... Where do you start and where does it end? Because it feels like a gradient, especially as so many groups and so many members of groups try to prove their bona fides in other genres. And is it the same everywhere? You know, is is what we consider K-pop here in America what somebody in Japan considers K-pop? Or when that or what somebody in China or somebody in Korea considers K-pop, that you know? I can answer a little more clearly and I would say that yes k-pop I would say is the same in its definition from country to country perhaps different in its fandom or which bands are most popular but there has been a conscious effort to have some sense of of regularity of continuity of the brand of um, k-pop as it were so I think while aspects might change, it is more or less the same thing. What you mean, what is being exported from Korea is deliberately kept kind of the same? For the most part. Right. I mean, there are smaller differences. And how we receive it, I think, is different. That could change going forward, though. Yeah. There has been some move to reject the K in K-pop as certain Korean artists feel that it is becoming more limiting than empowering. Um, now that's interesting because, I mean, to, you know, to my mind, like the whole project of K-pop is to, you know, brand Korea and like these are Korean 
it, it it's like to push the brand of Korea. I mean, why else would it be K-pop? You know. Yes, it, one of the things that defines K-pop is the nation branding behind it. It is something that is um, frustrating for those of us who study it academically because it's it's not entirely out there in the open. Like, there's not one person who controls it. There's not a clear hierarchy, but there are, it, it is definitely something that groups participate in, and it's something that is recognized as a thing. It's just a little slippery. So that's part of it. I would say that there are stylistic points that are fairly consistent over the period, like um, the dancing element, uh, some of the sound elements. I'd say there are musical and performance elements that would help you identify when something is K-pop or not. But certainly in the branding of it, not just overall as Korean, but in the the attitude and mindset that the artists are sharing, uh, which are definitely taking some Korean cultural elements and, and wrapping them tightly into that uh, for a variety of reasons. But the emphasis on hard work would be a really good example. They're showing more of a behind the scenes, here's all the effort and training we put in and very much stepping away from a model that's more popular in the US, which is an uh, in innate talent and discovered by good fortune kind of narrative. So you could also talk about the the methods and strategies for building that ardent fan base that has that deep feeling of intimacy. I think some of the standard practices of communication with fans are things that apply broadly to Korean groups as a similarity and difference from other pop forms. One of the sort of one of the very clarifying things for me um, as like a longtime you know, idol fan and um, someone that had spent a fair amount of time in Japan and, you know, attended a lot of Johnny shows. But um, when I went to Korea for the first time and really, really got that sense of <laughs> just that sense of like K-pop, it's not really like it doesn't have this big overwhelming presence. And I've I've spoken to other fans who have spent, you know, time in Korea and you know, they, they say the same thing, like, the, you know, they get there, and not that they're expecting, like, you know, Gangnam style dancing in the subways, but, you know, th that they have this feeling, this sense that it's this big cultural thing in Korea, and they get there, and they're like, oh, wait a minute, it's really not, <laughs> and I think that's kind of surprising for people, and that, I think that's also something that you don't know unless you actually kind of go there yourself and experience it. I mean, does that hold true is it in in your experience either of you it's just thinking i feel really no old. I, <laughs> right like because... i was you mentioned cognitive style and i'm like oh god i lived there when that came out oh my god <laughs> I, I think i started visiting korea regularly i was living in japan so it was very close by and you know i just need to get out of japan for a bit uh so i would go to korea every few months from about 2009 and it was definitely K-pop was a thing, but the big songs and bands were like Kata and Brown Eyed Girls and yeah. Super Junior and Big Bang and Shiny. So it was a very different phase of K-pop. And it was kind of more of a thing in some sense because um, there was 
a lot more that they had to prove. They hadn't achieved the success that they were hoping for. So there was a lot more tension, you know, oh, Rain's going to the U.S. Like, is he going to make it? Can someone make it in other countries? Every success story was a little more exciting. I think Mm -hmm. some of that has faded. Now people are like, yeah, K-pop's really big and the whole world is kind of obsessed with it. People are more used to that. They're not, um, they're not like cheering for bands in the way they might have before. And there's also less skepticism of whether they can succeed. Yeah, that whole era where you had Boa, Seven, and Rain all competing to break into the U.S. at the same time, that was an entire thing. Like, you were just like, oh, Seven's like linking up with like Lil' Kim over here, and Rain's going into movies. And that song totally stuck in my head randomly, like just recovered memory of just that song and that video in my head and his whole thing and just like pulling for him because I love Seven so much. Nobody remembers that. Nobody like, brings oh, up like, Seven Rain, and Like I mentioned, like, with the Colbert. Fan of Amnesia is literal yes. fan of Amnesia. Yes, and his whole thing with Colbert. Like, that was when, like, all of the K-pop internet at the time, which was largely confined to LiveJournal because Twitter was just <laughs> not a place that fans got together. Tumblr didn't exist, where everyone was just freaking out. Like, he's at Colbert! Like, sorry, I don't want to blow up my mic, where, like, everyone's just, like, waiting out. And, and like, remembering where Kata was on... Um, where that felt the moment like the moment for people who liked both k-pop and j-pop at the time where you're like oh this is becoming a thing now like they're making it like iba did the mr butt dance on national television like i remember that thing and then like i think i just left japan like when because it was after snsd had debuted in korea and they started to become a thing in japan and they're like oh they're like kata like that was that was the context for everything it was just like it was so much smaller at the time like there was so 
so many fewer points of reference for people to say like, oh, it's like this from Korea or oh, it's like this from Korea. So just like, yeah, it's it's music from Korea and they're coming over here. My memory of those those years is that those groups were a lot more mainstream, like Big Bang mm-hmm. was a lot more mainstream than the K-pop groups today, like Stray Kids or like the ones that I feel like you see all the time on Stan Twitter or in, in fan spaces like Stray Kids and yeah, even like Seventeen. Um, yeah, or they you know, got seven. Tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow X together yeah. got seven. The These groups that are like huge on Stan Twitter have like zero mainstream crossover. Whereas a group like Big Bang, you know, I feel like most Koreans could identify like a, a um, Girls Generation song. They might know G right. or Genie or something. You know, right. I, I feel like the mainstream crossover was a lot greater. Um, right and like remembering yeah and like remembering the times when you'd see like johnny's ex going to big bang shows yeah like like uh miyake ken from v6 going to a show or was it junin's show from anashi who went to big bang that one time because i remember they went to lady gaga but i know they also went to big bang and went met up with like seven other johnnies at the same show (laughs) well snowman's iwamoto hikaru is or was uh, a confirmed G-Dragon stan. Uh, there's fan photos of him in, like, G-Dragon uh, gear. So there you go. Um, you can find that. <laughs> I can send it to you. Please. <laughs> but it's, it's. I feel like the those groups were, there was a lot more crossover with, like, mainstream and sort of mainstream culture. Yeah, it would be more of a point of connection if, like, a random person from Japan met up with a random person from Korea right. in either country and was like, oh, do you listen to so-and-so? In the same way that a random person from the West Coast meets up with a random person from the East Coast. And it's like, oh, do you listen to X, Y, or Z group? Right. Yeah. I don't want to say like super mainstream, but just like popular enough where you're like, oh yeah, I also like this thing. Instead of like, would you like to delve into very specific subculture with me? Here's a group you've never heard of. Yeah, and you can only find out about them if you watch all of these YouTube videos right. and then follow these specific like fan right. translators. Like and, you like, have to be extremely online to yeah. know what this is. No, and join the cool kids club because it just gets like more and more and more and more insular, where there are just like more and more gates to go through. Because I remember the years of everyone trying to jump on and make fan sites for every new group that was debuting because they wanted to get on the ground floor and like be the face of that fandom for the english speaking world like you had it with snsd and then you had it with um i don't even remember who even came out at that time right like you had groups like shiny Mm. that had their whole thing um and that was when twitter started to be a thing and people started to be like extremely like extremely online about it but it was very much just like oh i'm going to like cultivate this fan space here like be the disseminator of information I would say that part of it is I think we've had a lot more uh, companies. It's not just three companies Mm -hmm. controlling the majority of groups anymore. I think because it's been around longer, there have been more scandals, which change people's attitudes towards it. I think you've also (laughs) got a generation of people who are like, I feel kind of old and I can't keep up anymore. Um, I'll never forget a comment by Big Bang where they said, yeah, our fans don't come meet us at the airport. They're in their 30s. They've got kids. We've all got lives. And that's fine. That's fine. We're pleased that we've been around long enough that our fans have aged and they still come to concerts and it's great. So I think there's, you know, a timing part of it. 
And I think one of the biggest reasons it's changed is it's not as tight a genre as it used to be. You're right about that. I think around 2014 is when I really could not ignore um, how much more Korean hip hop was being pulled into the mainstream. And that really shook things up for K-pop because, you know, there'd always been some crossover, especially after Big Bang. Almost every band had to have one person who was the rapper, no matter how implausible that might be for some <laughs> of the, some of the, like, kumminam groups that were there. Like, yeah, okay, sure, Super <laughs> Junior, you've got rappers. Um, so there was, you know, <laughs> was it Injok? Like, yeah, uh-huh, mm, yuck, I'm a rapper, he's part of that life. Um, it just, but it, there was this new demand for authenticity, and I think they were kind of changing the formula a bit, and it was amazing watching um, some of the, the TV shows that were coming out, because you could see it very obviously playing I mean, out in front of your eyes. Kind of hand-in-hand hand with um, Show Me the Money started exactly. around that time, right? 2014, 20. Around around that time, yeah. and you had um, Bobby went on from so season three, I think. Bobby and then um, winners and then Mino season yeah. four, yeah. And just the commentary was amazing. Like in in Mino's big performance, I remember the footage beforehand because you know they'd often have a a guest comment. I just remember someone saying they brought the Taeyang was how it was translated. And that just felt appropriate that it should be the Taeyang. Like the guy literally threw his hands up in the air and he's like, you can't bring a member of Big Bang. Like <laughs> it's not a competition anymore. You you pulled out all of your YG strengths. Um, but... <laughs> like seasons three through six I think were the best because you would see those first episodes when everyone was lined up to audition and I mean I remember months before the season even aired you'd be hearing like who and who from what group like ooh, Vic Vix's Ravi is coming and there was always like is he gonna embarrass himself or will he prove that he actually is a rapper and it's like what does he do if he fails you know what if he doesn't make it um so there was all of this going on. And at the same time, uh, you had like fan cams and interviews and you were getting comments from groups like BTS and Block B about how they saw themselves. And you would also see some of the rappers who'd been around for a long time airing their comments on 
whether or not somebody who was in a boy band could be uh, an actual hip hop artist. And it was amazing to see all that honesty when it wasn't quite being aired mainstream. I think, didn't BTS have a program where they came to the US and there was a 90s rapper who was coaching them? Yes. Yep. That was, it was called American Hustle Life. And it's actually, oh, yeah. it's really good. I have watched it all the way through, I think like three or four times because it's so fascinating, like as a cultural study. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they work with Warren G, um, who was sort of the originator no. of, yes. Yeah. It was a clear black night, a clear white moon. Warren G was on the streets trying to consume some skirts for the E so I could get some phones rolling in my ride, chilling all alone. Just hit the east side of the LBC on a mission trying to find Mr. Warren G. Seen a car full of girls, ain't no need to tweak. All of you search know what's up with 213. So I hooked select on 21 and Lewis, some brothers shooting dice. So I said, let's do this. I jumped out the ride and said, what's up? Some brothers pulled some gas, so I said, I'm Since these girls peeping me, I'm all glad and swerve. These hookers looking so hard, they straight hit the curve. Want to pick up better things than some horny tricks. I see my homie and some suckers all in his mix. I'm getting jacked, I'm breaking myself. I can't believe they taking more and 12. They took my rings, they took my Rolex. I looked at the brother, said, damn, what's next? They got my homie hemmed up and they all around. Can't none of them see him if they going straight down for pound. They want to come up real quick before they start to clown. I best pull out my strap and lay them busters down. They got guns to my head. I think I'm going down. I can't believe it's happening in my own town. If I had wings, I would fly. Let me contemplate. I glance in the cut and I see my homie Nate. 16 in the clip and one in the hole. Nate Dog is about to make some bodies turn cold. Now they dropping and yelling, it's a tad bit late. Nate Dog and Warren G had to regulate. Yes, yeah, in Long Beach. They go to Long Beach. It's totally amazing because, well, here's here's where I can pull out my BTS knowledge is that so BTS is um, the producer that they worked a lot with is this guy P Dog, who, as you might guess from his name, uh, loves G Funk and uh, Snoop Dogg and was mm -hmm. deeply, deeply inspired by kind of the g-funk sound like their whole first like their whole first sort of era is just like g-funk <laughs> oh i remember because that like, was the stuff little, that like i still listen to it's I'm so just like, good yeah, yeah. this so slaps I'm just like a little copy paste g-funk but um right yeah yeah so so they go and they work with warren g and you can kind of tell that like not all of them you know really understand what it is that they're doing here or what is this hip-hop thing um it's it's just fascinating as sort of like a cross-cultural study of like exporting and importing and um you know how culture kind of is transmitted back and forth and they're yeah it's and they're i mean they're charming like it's it's a good it's a good watch i started watching it and then i think you know adulthood and working kind of got in the way you mentioned Snoop Dogg. I think that's another really interesting example because he showed up on Show Me the Money and he's showed up in and out of a few older Korean music videos as well. I think once hip hop became a larger part of Korean music, it opened up a whole new can of worms about cultural appropriation and the need for authenticity and how do you negotiate that. And right. I mean, K-pop was much simpler. It was more straightforward and... There was authentic feeling, but I think it also, trying to think how I phrase this, it lent itself to the 
artificial. I mean, that's the influence of the Japanese idol culture, because if you go back into the 80s, I mean, you have like the um, the 80s sort of girl idols that are, I mean, they're interchangeable with um, sort of the the Japanese idols of the day like who's the uh <laughs> who sings desire uh Nakamori Akina right yeah get up, get up, get up, get up. <laughs> so you have her with her little like swoopy bang you know haircut I mean there are copy paste like Korean idols of the same era a little later that looked just like her like there's um the copy paste of shonen tie like you know korean music at least you know when you're looking at at japan anyway for a lot of years it was considered kind of like sort of knockoff right, japanese the, the music. derivative the yes. like like, if about... you want to get fully into, like, the civilization and enlightenment, the, like, this was Japanese music <laughs> 15, 20 years ago yes. kind of stuff. Like, the, oh, it's got that nostalgic sound. Okay, but what do you mean by the nostalgic sound? Like, how far into that do you want to go? Well, I mean, the face of, of Korean music was, like, Cho Young-pil, you know, who I think had, <laughs> I think he had crossover songs mm-hmm. in Japan. Right? So, like, that's who, you know, when you want to talk Korean music, you're talking, like, Cho Young-pil. Like, that's who it was. Um, and then it wasn't until you got, like, Boa and... Right, or um, even, like, SES, like, mm-hmm. when she, like, did her whole song, which was still the worst V6 song with V6 as, like, a, like, oh, like, getting their foot in the door kind of thing. Yeah, and uh. then eventually you get, like, you know, Toho Shinki working with Koda Kumi, and you're like, oh, okay, yeah. like, Korea is, oh, like, this is, cool yeah, and it's, modern. Yeah, it's coming out, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think, like, for a long time, like, that was the image of Korean music. And to me, like, that's so, like, the intertwined music cultures of Korea and Japan, I think you can't, you can't pry them apart. Like, they're, it's, it would be like trying to separate British music from American music like yeah. you can't pry them apart like they're they're intertwined when you want to talk about like authenticity i don't know like what does that even mean in the context right, and like where of... are you sourcing that authenticity because that's what i feel like and we talked about this last time where yeah. it's who's defining what is authentic a and then b like where is like the most authentic thing right because you're talking about like going like to work with warren g with these children who have no idea about either regulators or mounting up. Yeah. Like, none of that. They don't, like... And then, they oh have, my like, God. They he... might have a concept, like, he's Dr. Dre's little brother, but, like, what does that mean? They they do a concert at the end where they do their own lyrics to regulate, and it's supposed to be, like, you can tell, like, to, to some of them, this is actually, like, really cool and deep and, like, whatever, but the crowd of fangirls, it is, like, tumbleweeds, the little cricket playing. They have... They oh they God. also have no idea about like regulators right. or anything. They don't know. Right. They're just sitting right, there like, like well, oh, I don't know this song. Same thing is like where it's like okay, these groups are or these musical acts are very much like X sound from Y country fifteen years ago, right? Like where is yeah. this coming from? Yeah. Like, like and I don't want to say like all K-pop is derivative because that's that's not necessarily a thing. But there's there's definitely like it feels like there's a need to. And I don't know if I'm expressing this correctly or like or in the way that it like appears in my head, but to find that external validation for what's going on and then bring it back as a way to say, okay, no, I've got 
Miss Yellow over here. I've got Warren G over here. I've got Lil' Kim over here. I think that it's it has sped up. It might have been more like a 15-year gap in some of the older songs. I think, um, especially with the power of internet and smartphones, that, that gap is much smaller. But you're absolutely right about the seeking external validation. What I have seen on YouTube uh, reaction videos is, I mean, the people who get into K-pop because they're getting so many upvotes just because of K-pop fans being such a powerful force. Um, they will turn up if you are talking about their band and they will like it. And you can hear all of these people reacting and you can see them cut off their friends and be like, hey, no, no, don't don't say that thing. They're going to attack us like they already know which comments are going to unleash a flood of like sometimes you'll see some of their first time reacting to K-pop videos and you'll see people like guys will comment on the makeup or um, they'll call the guys androgynous or if they if they hit on one of the triggers, then they know that a K-pop fandom is going to come and fill all of their comments for miles of scrolling. Like a com- commodity culture of like engagement. Yeah, exactly. And like yeah. engagement is validation too. Like, oh, we've gotten like X amount of views or we have like X amount of reaction videos, which I still don't understand because I'm just too old at this point. But it's, it's very much just like, again, it's it's a form of external validation. It's just in this t- in this instance, um, it's the fans who are using like, oh, so-and-so is talking about this group. Oh, so-and-so. In the same way that we were like, oh my God, Rain is on Colbert. Yeah. But it's seeking external validation while at the same time censoring uh, mm-hmm. that validation. And it's, I think it is qualitatively different from what we have seen in the past in terms of its scale and in terms of how direct it is. Right. Um, there is clearly an agenda at play. They are looking for an image and they are looking to make it seem like that is an objective opinion when it's it's not. It is a clear system of rewards and punishment. Punishment is used by fandoms. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's, right, and this it's thing, yeah, no, go ahead. No, I was going to say it's interesting, too, watching what criticism and what critiques they do choose to sort of blow up and which will be, um, like, ignored. Because I've seen some pretty, like, damning posts and, you know, you know well-sourced... Um, very, you know, critiques and they're there for everyone to find and somehow the fans um, you know, they, they'll ignore those ones and go after the people that say like, oh, uh, these guys must all be gay they're wearing makeup, you know, that ha- you can have an easy clap back to that where you might not. Exactly, yeah. right, like yeah. where's the low hanging fruit that I can just like, like slap down, right? Yeah, it is interesting, but I was thinking too like so I've been making a lot of mixes for my little nieces just because, um, you know, kids songs can be kind of grating. So I've, oh, yeah. you know, just like, you know, Carrie Pimmy Pimmy and stuff like that. But, you know, I was thinking like around the era of that same era we were talking about, 2011, 2012, 2010, somewhere in there, right? Like I feel like K-pop, it, there was this brief shining window where it hit that same niche that sort of Japanese pop had hit in America with like Carrie Pimmy Pimmy when you had crayon pop and yes. you had, um, you know, Lady Gaga, like being like, Oh, what's this all about? This is awesome. Um, and mm-hmm. then, and you had, I think big bang 
fell right into that too big bang and um g dragon and like tops doom dada like and that kind of stuff that was just like very forward looking very um yeah just like forward looking and and sort of pushing the boundaries of pop music and and push it playing with the genre and playing with sort of the conventions of the genre um and that was really adopted by the same critics who loved stuff like you know um perfume and carry pemmy pemmy and um and then all of that went away <laughs> yeah never to be heard from again where like I tuned out for like six months to a year and I came back to K-pop and I was like I feel like Donald Glover in community like running back in with the pizza and everything's on fire and I have no idea what's going on yeah I yeah I I empathize with that because I kind of feel the same way except I tuned out in like 2015 maybe like right around like right after like made and um all of that like 2015 was such a good year and then I checked back in after 2017. I don't I mean, I don't know if we want to get this deep, but like sort of the events of 2017 in K-pop really like hit me hard. And uh-huh. kind of su- it surprised me how hard that it hit me because I thought that I had, I was like, I didn't like in my I didn't realize I was this emotionally attached to like right. to these to these yeah. people because I mean, you know, if you want to get right into it like I just remember like hearing about top and just sitting there at my desk at work like oh my god like is he gonna wake up like I don't know like that and then you know later that year with what happened and and um yeah so when I came back in in 2018 I was like what is going on here right like it was like stepping back into like a bizarro version of what you knew before where everything felt the same but you could tell it it almost felt like a simulation yes yeah where there was just like this big disconnect for everyone who was part of the k-pop subculture like the very online internet subculture from before to after right it was it was almost like a oh the before times and now it's the after times and now i'm just sort of some weird ghost wandering through this fandom (laughs) trying to find my place and like find anything to anchor me back because right now it just feels like I'm just floating through space which is how I still feel like I have so many friends who are still into k-pop and I'm like I don't recognize any of these names I don't know any of these children I don't know what's like the songs don't sound the same which is fine music evolves it's what it does again the ceaseless march of time it just keeps going music is gonna keep evolving I like 
that groups are experimenting with different sounds. But it's also like everything is just so different from what I remember that I can't find a place to latch on to. And it's a lot different than when I was trying to get into it um, back in, like, God, like 2006, just, like, trying to find that place, like, oh, I can get into, like, Classiquai, because I like this group, and I know Boa, I can get a Boa, right? Like, it was easier to find those places, now I'm just, like, everything is just so different that I don't know where I am anymore. And I remember what happened Yeah. all, like throughout the years and especially more recently like I don't have those like like my blinders are off I don't have any like just like I don't have any illusions about what this is and like the power that it holds not only over like cultures but also the way that it affects individuals and the way that this fame can be very toxic not in a misused internet word kind of way but in a very like directly abusive way toward people whether they're in the industry or industry adjacent right like I don't have any like illusions about what that means yeah no I I I agree completely and I think as you were talking you know I was thinking like I wonder if that's sort of at the root of you know one of the things that really makes k-pop k-pop is that constant churn of novelty because you can you can listen to a Johnny's group you know, you get into a Johnny's group, you step away, you come back, you want to get into a different Johnny's group. Um, chances are they're still doing songs that sound, <laughs> you know, close to like, yeah. and, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I think people sometimes use it pejoratively. There's definitely but, a through line. Like yeah. even that Johnny's tweet about like, oh, these groups train for years and they build on their, what their predecessors have yeah. done. So like you have high, high jets who are doing what Hikaru Genji did. Exactly. And like, mini history lesson in 280 characters or fewer. have snowman who are in the v6 vein or you have like kimpuri who are in the everybody else vein right where you're just like oh i can get into this group now i got this i i know where this is i can anchor myself here whereas if i tried to get into any group right now like i saw this big like thing about like oh like cross off if you've heard of this group this group this group i'm like these words mean nothing to me there was a year where it just felt like so many groups that I knew broke up. And this was before 2017 with its its own form of shock. But I think it was closer to, I can't, I was in grad school. I think it was somewhere in the 20, 
14 range, a little before that, it just felt like the landscape shifted. And what makes K-pop so powerful is that it's not just K-pop. It's this inter-referencing. It's that you are seeing them on all of these variety shows and you're seeing them in dramas. You, you need to have all of these different pieces that keep referencing each each other in order to have that that intimacy. And when you lose a member of your band or if you just lose the other bands around your band, I think it is one thing that can really impact how you feel about things overall. They might, maybe your band is still on a variety show, but you don't recognize anyone else. And I think... And maybe it's just because I've gotten out of the scene, but when I I go in, I feel like I'm not seeing, or at least not recognizing as many K-pop stars on the other shows, or there's so many shows, or or that it's shifted and that those online fandoms that were once these amazing gateways to all of the wonderland of a fandom or Korean media, it's it's more dispersed now, and it has to be a lot more self-guided. There's not that community feeling as you're first wandering in unless you're attached to a a specific fandom from the get-go like they're siloed almost like the fandoms are all siloed yeah it also feels very top down now whereas before like when you were getting like so i remember watching all of wild bunny when like fan translators were transferred i miss wild bunny when the fan (laughs) translators were just cranking that out like week by week in that 2 p.m., 2 a.m. SNSD era, because I remember watching the Girls' Generation show also. So it was very much just like, oh, like, here's an easy way that I can get into this group, and people want to spread this information. And now a lot of the information is both coming from the top and being, I don't want to say, like, kept from people at the bottom, but there's a lot more work that has to go into finding that information from the bottom, right? Because I can I can look on whatever the ghost of Tumblr is. I can look on Twitter at hashtags and find people, but I'm not going to find, like, I don't want to say the overarching narrative because I don't think there ever was one, but it's so much harder to find those communities and all that access to information. Again, it's, you're absolutely right in that you're just, you're so much more self-driven and so much more alone in that. And then it almost feels like you're lucky to find people who have those same interests because everything is so much more dispersed now, even though the internet is only three websites. I used to congregate, like we also congregate on LiveJournal, which Uh really did lend itself to like, you would have these big sort of central hubs and people would do like pimp posts, right? And they would just tell you everything you needed to know. Um, I wrote a giant one about V6 in 2015, right? Like updating one that was written in like 2010, 2012. Cause it like, by that point it was just so out of date, but it was just like, everything was so much more accessible, right? Like it was so much easier to share all that information. And now there's no, like the hot, like everything is so transitory. Like you can find like the big Twitter accounts or the big, but then, you know, Hey, they're always like, you know, check my pinned or whatever, but it's, it's very like the information just keeps churning, 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 and nobody remembers what happened yesterday. Whereas I think in the past, it was easier to get like a toehold into this subculture. And I wonder too now if it's, if it is because um, so much more is controlled from the top down. So you have this sort of official gatekeeping where they don't, like they're now that they're aware that there is all this money to be made from foreign fans, they don't want people putting up the pimp posts that may contain things that they don't 
like, you know, like, oh, here's the certain member who was, uh, you know, arrested for blah, 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 and is now, right. like, possibly going to serve jail time. And they don't, they don't want you to know that, necessarily. Well, it's easier for them to sort of drown that out, right? Like, I could post something on Twitter about how so-and-so from such-and-such group has done X, Y, and Z, but that's not going to get, like, that's not going to do the numbers as something from their official group Twitter because they're there, they're on YouTube, they're on every single social networking site, right? They're just they're just flooding it all because A, they can do that, and B, that helps them control the narrative, which is way different than it was before. And this is an engagement culture now. Mm-hmm. So so those official videos, you're gonna get the gatekeeper fans that want you to watch they want they want x number of views on like these videos you got to watch these videos you can't you know you got to like these tweets you can't just you know right. fi- find things at your own pace or, or do things because right. and it's very yeah now there's the fandom treadmill where you got to do views views and like clicks and links and like check this and like read this and click on this don't click on this one you don't want to give them a view right it's very it's very different from like and this is completely well it's not completely out of your wheelhouse tv but it's very much just like this is the kind of stuff that i would do with you where it's just like okay so here's this community and like these are the kind of people who like who bring stuff in and they show stuff but like everybody brings all this stuff right like it was like it definitely wasn't egalitarian but it was more utilitarian whereas everyone had a say in what was going on whereas now it's very much just like you have to follow like X, Y, and Z big name fans, but you can't follow these people. We don't like these people. And it's, I have no like good opinions about that, at least that I would air publicly <laughs> because like it, it really does feel like bizarro world when I'm trying to engage in anything like when I even like even in the Johnny's fandom which is the only thing that I'm really still connected to at this point like finding someone who has similar views on anything I'm just like oh my god finally I found somebody oh my god like I would say that in some ways less is more and what we have now is just more 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 um hmm. by which I mean I knew nothing about Korea in 2004 and it, it really wasn't my thing Um, But my sister was very into Japanese and Korean media. And when I went to study abroad in England, she handed me a a CD case of DVDs that she had burned. She's like, it's going to take you a while to get settled in. And until you make friends, here is something to keep you busy. And she had given me Full House and a few other things. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. No, I have not told you the story, I don't think. You have not told me the story. This is beautiful. I love your sister. Foreign students arrived first, so there was, like, no one at the university. It was just me in the dorm with, and she packed me, like, we packed some snacks from the local Asian market, and she burned me a bunch of different, like, shows and anime, and it was her thing, like, and -hmm. she was very protective of it. So it was always a rare occasion when she was willing to share with me, and... I didn't even know it was Korean. I'm like, it just says full house. And I put it in and like binged the whole thing. And I, and there was still this like long period of years where Korea was not even a part of my life. I wasn't the traditional like 
get deep into it fan. I I started studying this because I was living and working in Japan and I saw um I saw how the people around me in Japan were reacting to the Korean wave and I was fascinated because there was such a a hatred and a love and I'm like, "Ooh, this is powerful stuff." But in in my own journey, everything that came to me was a very personal gift and it was a part of a relationship. And I think if I had just been on Netflix browsing and I had seen a drama, it wouldn't have been the same thing. There is so much available now that it's not, even though I wasn't part of the community, this was between my sister and I, um, most of the other instances were very personal recommendations or finding someone else who was interested in the same things was really a moment to celebrate. You didn't feel that there were thousands of people you could connect with on the internet super easily. And I think that now that it's everywhere, it's not that we necessarily take it for granted. It's just that it doesn't mean the same thing to discover a show or a band or to see your band on a show because there's so much. That's a really, really good point. That mm-hmm. is, that's an excellent point because, yeah, like now I do see people on Twitter who, you know, they're clearly like brand new BTS fans since like 2019 or whatever. And, you know, they'll be retweeting or, you know, clapbacks and like uh, attaching fan cams to things and like, you know, just all of this stuff like, oh, Korea's pride, blah, blah, blah. And it just feels very, like, uh, just like such a shallow engagement um, with with sort of the greater world of of culture out there. Because I, and I, I want to say I've talked about this in previous episodes. I'm sure I have. But you know, the idea that as foreigners, as outsiders, you know, finding it in into media of another cu- culture like domestic media of another culture because full house i mean that's that was aired in korea that was popular in korea that they, they weren't making that for me you know and and just mm-hmm. getting that mm-hmm. in and getting a glimpse into like oh oh wow like this is this is such a great story i don't see stories like this at home right i really like this i want to watch more oh i love these songs i don't hear songs like this at home um yeah just like the I mean it's a novelty but also just like sort of learning more about another place and other people in a different part of the world that they're not targeting you like you're not you I don't know like when when I I remember watching Full House probably around the same time and like it didn't feel like I had a target with a dollar sign like on it like on my forehead <laughs> like yeah some exactly. of the stuff coming out now it really does feel like oh here foreigner you're gonna like this um, we hired foreign writers to do it and we tailored it exactly to your taste specifically. Those aren't the ones that hit well. Yeah. I think it, you also really have to mention, I know we talked about the relationship between K-pop and J-pop, or at least Korean singers and Japanese singers. But if, if we're talking about each of them, it's, it's a larger ecosystem. You don't have a K-pop star that you feel that intimacy with if you don't have all the variety shows and dramas where you feel like you get to know the person. Like there was a point where like I never sought this information and yet I could tell you more than a few things about Jay Park's underwear preferences. <laughs> and like it was because I'd watched these 
these variety shows and there'd be comments either from him or his band members because he was still in 2 p.m this is how long ago this was and they'd be talking about like my like my fans gave me pink underwear and I never liked pink but it was a gift from fans so I wore it and then I started to like it now I feel kind of sexy when I wear pink oh no I mean, and that's amazing because you feel like you know something about him. And yet it's also such a blatant way of him saying, look how much your gifts mean to me. And like, that's the other thing. I don't know if they still do this, but the strongest thing for me in the earlier days of K-pop was they kept driving home. We're so grateful. We're nothing without you. We are only here because of you. And the, the wording that built those relationships, like there was that declaration of humility and gratitude and that constant demonstration of like, I work until I am exhausted, but I do this for the fans who give me strength. And that, that mindset and mantra was constantly being communicated and helping to create feelings. But you had variety shows and dramas, but you also, I mean, the connection between the Korean media loving community and the Japanese media loving community, it drives me nuts how many um, academic papers there are on the Korean wave that just ignore the role of Japan, not, not what Japan is necessarily actively doing, but that so many people who like Korean media also like anime or like Johnny's and they like one first and then the other. It's usually a Japan and then Korea direction as well. I'm not sure if that's changed in recent years, but at least for Western and American markets, that is a very strong connection. I would say post like Gangnam Style, like really after sort of the advent of like KCON and stuff like that, where I think there really was a concerted effort to target America in the Western market. You really do see a falling away, a peeling off of the the anime, the J-pop fans. And I think that's what you see reflected in those papers is that um, there was this targeted effort to kind of say um, Korea is not part of this broader ecosystem. This is the Korea project. This is the, the K-pop project. This is K-dramas, K, 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 K. They don't want to be reminded of the, you know, the Japanese colonialism, like, past. And, and I mean, for good reason. Like, you know, I like, I understand that part of it. But, and Japan is such a big player like but like I understand why for like marketing purposes they do this but I think that if you're an academic it's unacceptable that you would try to to look at k-pop without understanding the influence of Japan Japanese music I mean if you want to go all the way back like um you know Korean students going to Japanese like colonial schools like to learn and they went to missionary schools they went to um military schools where where you had this western influence sort of filtered back through the japanese colonial system and it's just like you can't 
you can't separate you just can't separate the two like they're intertwined as much as neither country wants to like talk about it like if you if you look at the the shared musical culture like the shared idol culture like it's there um and i think maybe as outsiders we're kind of positioned to to see it but i don't know it really frustrates me that that so much of this korean studies and especially now the bts studies japan may as well not even exist right well i have to say as a former market research consultant that ignoring your consumer's path to purchase is just not a good idea so even if we are setting aside the um academic rigor portion of it it, it it's just if you are cutting out important parts of who your consumer is and how they became interested in your product, then you are self-sabotaging. And maybe it won't cause you harm in a way that you feel, but it is certainly taking away opportunities that could have existed. So it, it does frustrate me. But it's interesting how you take it back to the colonial period. I've, I've also seen a lot of papers where they're, I mean, and I will say that these are, without exception, bad papers. Um, <laughs> but there are so many papers, and it was this whole thing, and I know Bridget's heard me say this, papers that are trying to prove some sort of ancient Korean pop something, like the the Hwarong of the Shila period, these... <laughs> These boys who seem to have filled some shamanic role, all we know is that they wore makeup and danced, and therefore they must have been ancient K-pop boy bands. And I oh wish that had not literally been the summary. Like I've seen more than one article that does this, more than one article that says the acrobats who performed on you know <laughs> the high wires of the Chosun period we know that's where we get the skill and athleticism that supports our our b-boy artists and and our dancers and their choreography like there's a strong desire to find something that is not polluted by foreign influence in including apparently the Tang dynasty um <laughs> that is innate and is a part of korean dna so that right there like in one part of their heart is han and in another part is the potential to be a k-pop artist like that's crazy i did it's not insane. know that yeah reminding me of these things 
But me, I was no, but I was gonna say too because I was just remembering a while ago because there was that um, paper about how Adidang was like a whole thing, like oh yeah, where Adidang was like the well, root of it, it was a hit in Japan. Yeah, exactly. yeah. I wouldn't yeah. call yeah, it, it the first Hallyu success. No, I'm not going like to say the first Hallyu but... success, but I am going to say because it's a very different dynamic, right? Like, it's deliberately yeah. colonizing. Like, you're taking this thing that is a heartfelt song from your colonized people and going, gee, what a jaunty tune. I love <laughs> this tune. I think I'm going to sing this tune. And it's about the fact that you're, like, you're colonized and you're separated from people, right? Like, it's not like my Bonnie lies over the ocean. It's it's a lot deeper than that, right? Like, it's got the pain, but it's the pain's a lot deeper. But you're just like, boy, I like this tune. There's so much of that, like, that tension in that relationship. Because I'm in the middle of this great book about, like, the sort of joint origins of Inca and Trot. There were crossover, like, Trot artists um in like the 70s and whatever but I don't know like I feel like the just that image of Korea in Japan was very much of fusty like old-fashioned and there well there was a boom in like the 90s of Korean of 70s retro Korean rock and like soul and that kind of music in Japan and they I mean there was even like a well-known like covers band that did these that did covers of songs that had been totally they were like retro songs it was kind of like the equivalent of like the um uh the northern soul movement in the uk right where you had like these british djs and whatever finding these old soul and r&b records from america that we'd just totally forgotten about and sort of bringing them back to life right are you familiar with northern soul at all Yeah, so anyway, there was, like, this whole Northern Soul movement. Because I think it was based a lot out of, like, Manchester and, like... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, and so, um, yeah, and that, to me, like, I think you had that equivalent movement in Japan for this 70s, like, um, uh, uh, what's his face? Shin Jung Hyun, right? And, like, um, his sort of, like, like, the key boys and, um, like, that kind of stuff, right? That old rock. 
Um, and so, so I have this great book from this 90s Japanese, it's like a, a DJ now, but I think he was like a 90s rocker, right? And he goes to Seoul in the 90s and he's like basically dumpster diving for vinyl because people are just throwing this stuff out and he's like these are treasures what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> oh my he, god it's the 90s version of the minjin movement and he goes no. into like oh. he has these stories of like going to these like vinyl shops and people are like you want this and he's just like coming out <laughs> with like so many records he can't carry them and this is all stuff that now they're like reissuing in like nice vinyl like remastered like blah 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 for i think the japanese market but um yeah it's just crazy and i feel like all of this sort of intertwined history is it's so like deep and yet uh, none of this stuff is if you read like academic papers on k-pop and i looked for a bunch when i was writing my big idol group history series I, I I saw none of this. I'm like, there's the nothing about like that '90s revival boom. Because it's and... just it's not out there, or it's it's very siloed. Like even people like Ian Condry who are talking about hip hop in different it's contexts are oh Ian Condry, shout out to MIT. Um, he's not like he's not writing about this in this way because I don't. There's just like academia is a strange strange place where the lens that you have on something is just not necessarily the lens that the person next to you might have. And that's the nicest way I can go about saying that. <laughs> right, where someone where someone is dumpster diving for something, for old records from the 70s, and is just fascinated by this, and anyone who's studied Korean history and Japanese history and... <laughs> Right, like the connections and the disconnections between the two could say, oh, this reminds me very much of the art movement of folk art becoming popular in Japan during the colonial period. I wonder what the implications are of this for our modern period and for the future. And an academic might just go completely off the rails. Right, because they're in the 1970s when, you know, Japan was really starting to hit its economic stride and just about to make America lose its mind. Uh, the timing, certainly I could see a paper on that. God. <laughs> well, even the 90s, going back to the 70s in Korea, like, you're going back to stuff from the Park Chung-hee movement, so like, uh, or the Park Chung-hee era, so like, what are you... Like, what are you nostalgic for? This is all the pre-cannabis wave of arrests, like, you know, because that yeah. wiped out, like, all the domestic rock. And, like, I mean, that was, that put a chilling effect on their music scene for, like, a decade. Yeah. Just wiping there, out all those musicians. There is a paper, and I, I can't remember the name. I do have a copy of it somewhere. I know... It indulged in the horrible pun of ROK being rock in the title, if that helps you find it. <laughs> but it is one of the better papers that I saw and often used when I was trying to summarize the history because it called out the impact that it had that after the Constitution, when you had the the limits on hair length and, and skirt length, when mm -hmm. you know cannabis was suddenly illegal, which was actually after the arrests had started, awkwardly enough. And then that really pushed people to spend more time in the discos overnight to avoid the curfew. And how that shaped the Korean experience of music going forward, because, you know, it's the music that would play in a dance hall 
all night when you can't safely go home. And then after that, the introduction of the, kara the karaoke machine from Japan, they're songs you love, but you don't sing them at, at karaoke. Like, they just don't work. And how that shapes the way people interact with music. And at the same time, you, you start to see that split where Japan, I think, has more mainstream rock that's really popular with young people, and they have a ton of jazz. And I feel like Korea veers a lot more towards, I mean, these are, of course, broad, broad generalizations, but the R&B and soul and the hip hop is like way stronger in Korea. And you start to see, I mean, for as much as we've just said that you can't take Japan and Korea and separate them, this is an area where you can, I think, start to tease out um, actual stylistic differences and you can mm -hmm. see how they've been shaped by decades of, of politics and pop culture. Um, the way Japan shows hip hop artists, whether it be their, their TV shows or their, their anime or anything, it's wildly different from how rappers are presented in Korea. Yeah. We'll continue to see growth in kind of separate directions um, because of some of those trends. But I think, too, a lot of what, back for those of us who are very much old in this fandom, like, part of why we got into one or the other or why we appreciated one in a different way was because they had so much difference, right? So you had Johnny's groups who were, or even um, Hamasaki Ayumi, Right, artists like that who are very mm. much in the same vein of the pop music that we may or may not have been familiar with, right? Like your Madonnas, your 80s artists, your 90s artists, um, who might have had that same sort of sound or a sound that reminded us of a certain sound. And then you had these Korean artists who had a similar sound, but it was different enough that you're like, okay, I appreciate this in a different way, right? Like I'm searching out these artists because they fulfill a certain need or a certain interest that I have in a different kind of music. So I'm going to appreciate like DBSK in a different way than I appreciate Arashi over here. Yeah. And I mean, you also have to think about um, soundtracks. What other media are you associating these songs with? Like they're, I know you and I have talked, there are certain songs, I hear them, and I just start to picture the entire world as the the intro credit scene to an anime. Like, I can see myself running out of the house with my, you know, school uniform and a piece of toast in my mouth. Like, yep. no jacket, one sleeve <laughs> on. Like, I can see it. And then there are songs that, th those songs would never be in a Korean drama. And there are ballads that are just so Korean drama that I feel like, I'm about to see a really mediocre kiss with a camera spinning 360 degrees to make you feel like it's romantic, even though it's totally overly censored. Like, there's just, <laughs> well, there, there's there's... sensations you associate with certain sounds, and I think yeah. that's influenced by some of the other media associated with the country. Yeah, that's a good point, because there really is that. There is the sound of the Korean OST ballad mm, that uh -huh. I can, it's just... I don't know it's like these it's like these specific like jazz like tension chords like I I can hear it when I hear it immediately like I'm like yep that's a that's a Korean song no other music in the world sounds like this and they still sound like this today like you can put on like a drama OST from 2021 and it's got that same sound as it would have in you know uh uh you know like Sigan, I'm on to go to the 
비처럼 내 앞에 떠올라 나의 맘을 두드려요 한 걸음 뒤에 떨어진 채 그대 곁에 바라만 보는 나의 마음을 그대는 모르겠죠 그림자처럼 Winter Sonata. I was I was thinking of the differences between like if I were gonna watch Hanadan versus if I were gonna watch something like Coffee Prince or Sunday yeah. Let's Go to School, right? Like where it's very much just like it's so heartfelt and it's so sincere and it just builds to this moment. And if I'm watching Hanadan, it's like like it just it starts and it yeah. just goes. It just it keeps going. Although, now that we've mentioned Coffee Prince, I was going to say, um, cafe music. This might be more niche. But for me, having lived in those countries, I feel like the songs that make me feel like I'm in uh, a Korean cafe are still pretty ballady, pretty close to a drama. But, like, songs that I expect to hear when I'm out in Japan, that kind of background music, it's more, like, a lot more, like, chill hop and jazz yeah, focused. It's a I'm different sound. Yeah, the stuff I'm going to encounter in Cafe Bene is very yeah. different from the stuff I'm going to encounter in the Dotor. I'm just thinking of that excellent Big Bang song, Cafe. Oh, it, <laughs> it is a favorite. I used to have an entire playlist that was just different K-pop songs about coffee, and it was <laughs> entirely too long. I remember when you walked to that door, sat down in that chair, the times of shit, but you I think it was a, a solo one.
JP had a cafe song and most of their other songs were just like their imagery was so incredibly violent. We want to take a musical break for coffee songs. Oh yeah, believe me, there's gonna be like I can insert like ten because B- BTS has a coffee song too from oh, their oh, from their G funk era from the G funk era. You know Wait, what? <laughs> How do you have a coffee song about G funk? Think about Dre going down the street and six four singing about coffee. <laughs> All I remember is just like G funk from that era. So, like, it's pretty wild. Like, yeah, go back and listen to like their first album. Well, because I know, because the funny thing is, like, I remember Stevie showing me, like, this was, I think this is when you lived in Seoul, like, showing me when BTS first came out. And their first, like, three or four songs were very critical of, like, the education system. Yeah. Well, that's back when they were trying to be, um, like, (laughs) H.O.T. Yeah, no, exactly. And that was the thing. And then, like, then, like, six months later, like, a year later, you come back to me, you're like, I I think they're being critical, but maybe they're just the patriarchy. And the song was War of Hormone. And I hate how much I still like that song. Like, that song comes up on my running playlist. I'm like, it's for that is so good too oh my god it's all that like 
yeah, the, like the faux one shot it's great because i'm a, a big fan of like abcz like all of their first i think their first, oh my god like, Every, everything they were all it was like one shot and then space travelers was one space shot travelers. one kill they did that all in one take the first time through oh That's my god that see. was it's how i so got good. into abcz was <gasps> space they were travelers? no it was when they did uh uh, five stars oh my god the one yes. shot background shonen club yes. like that's what got me because i had friends who were fans of them as juniors and then they're like oh they're gonna debut and i'm so excited and i was like okay this is cute i could get into this and then i started watching shonen club and i was like oh no i could really get into this after they did like that they did space travelers um i just found my stuff from the five stars five years tour my oh love my battle tour yes i have Penn all that Light. stuff like, yeah yeah i was just like oh like their whole thing like watching the continued live stream they're just they're beautiful people i know this is wildly off topic I but know. like they're I sorry that, like, that was that my thing. fault i love Abby. <laughs> no Abby. you're fine i will i will also talk Abby about Abby anytime i can get because they're just so they're just they're precious and i love them yeah well because that's one of the things i learned going to concerts in japan like ski member ski member or like darigaski like darigaski Mm-hmm. that's like one of the first things you learn like darigaski no i know like what was it when i was going over in 2013 for the v6 concerts uh and my luggage got lost and um because i had been moved to a different flight but my luggage was on the other flight so oh, like yeah. oh we're gonna have to deliver it to your house we're gonna have to bring it to you and um the ana person is like oh what are you here for and i was like oh you know i'm, I'm here to go see a concert I'm like oh who are you gonna see oh i'm gonna go v- see v6 and like oh who do you like and i'm like oh i like sakamoto and he's like oh yeah he's a dandy too i appreciate that about him and i was like yes that's what i appreciate about him also <laughs> It's it's always like it's that kind of thing where it's just like it's just like it's such a surface level thing. Whereas if someone were to ask me like, or if I were to ask someone else like, oh like which band do you like, which whatever do you like, where it's that same thing, but it's like, oh yeah, I like this thing about this person. You're not making a deep cultural connection, but it's those little moments that like stick out in my brain where I'm just like, yes. Well, it just it's it's a human connection. And exactly. like, well, when I was traveling back from Japan the last time I was there in 2019, um, I had I had so much like crap with me, but um, uh-huh. I had <laughs> I had like this big Arashi tote bag. I love it, my 5x20 tote oh, bag. It is amazing. Yeah. I had the Arashi bag. She saw it, and then I had to check like a second bag, and like my tag fell off or something. And she put a little tag on it, and she said, um, it was something like you know for the Arashi bag, like, woman or something. Like, it was just very, like, cute or or, or something like, you know, have a wonderful, like, Arashi day. It was just very, like, referencing my my bag. Like, and it was clearly that she she was the one who had done it and she was so, like, tickled to see, like, an Arashi bag. Like, but, you know, that's the kind of thing that I think, um, you know, if you go to Korea for a group that doesn't have that sort of mainstream recognition of, like, every everyday sort of recognition you're not going to have that somebody's not going to be like oh you like stray kids like who's your favorite like no one knows right. <laughs> like, well, and, nobody like, knows who they know. are it's just like it's so different like mm. like i can't say anything about because i was living in china at the time and i caught like a red eye pretty much both times and i was very tired but definitely the flight like that left at two in the morning and landed at like five in the morning and the Ajashi, who was driving the taxi when I was going to see Stevie, um, when I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go see my friend from grad school and we're going to go to a Taeyang concert and it's going to be fun. He's like, wow, that sounds really fun. Like, that's cool that you're going to do that. Like, 
it's the same kind of thing, but it's just like, good for you, young person. It's like, it doesn't have the same kind of, I don't want to say weight, because I don't think there's necessarily a weight to it in Japan either, unless you like make friends with someone. Like when I was standing outside for the V6 2015 concert, trying to get tickets to the um, the anniversary show. And I met like the 50 year old woman who was a sexy zone fan, but who was also a V6 fan. And like, she was so new. She was so sweet. She's like, oh, I'm going to like, I wish I had a ticket for you. I'm sorry. Like, I, oh, and I have this sexy zone bag. And I was like, my friend loves them. And, like <laughs> this whole thing, right? Like that's like, that's fandom. That's like intra fandom. Right. Like, it's, a, it's a different yeah, thing versus yeah. like an Ajoshi who's just like, wow, you speak Korean. That's a lot cooler than you going to a K-pop show. Yeah. When I was in Korea, um, in 2018, because um, I did see BTS there, and um, I was in, I was somewhere in like a little shop or something, and I saw a girl, and we both had the same BT21 bag that we like from the Shibuya like BTS pop up store, and I looked at her, and I and I just knew I was like, oh my god, she's Japanese, and um, and so then she kind of like saw my bag. And she's kind of looking at me. And I finally, I was just like, well, I was, because I'm a brash, like really overly friendly American. I was like, oh, Nihon no kata desu ka? And she was like, eh. And then the next year I like went to her house for dinner. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that, that's like that intra fandom connection. Like you can do that. I mean, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like with a group like SMAP, V6, Arashi, they're they're broadly known across and I think Big Bang would be like that in Korea. No, it's it's definitely like, the it's, same thing. And he was like, Oh, Taeyang, yeah, of course. Like, yeah, I know right, who like, that is. Right. Like so like when I was in when I went back to Japan in um it was it was twenty twelve because I just left Korea and like um and I yeah, so I left China and North Korea and then I went back to Japan to see a bunch of friends for a while. And just like travel around in putts before I went back to grad school and the special level of hell that that is. So I went, met up with a friend who was in my Korean language class who was doing JET over there. And this was a friend who was into BAP and assorted groups. Um, but like we went to Kobe because News was doing their reunion tour. Oh, wow. They're was like, this like right after the, like the re, like the when Yonin. they were four? This was the Yonin. Yeah. Okay. This was their comeback from okay. the Yonin. So I oh, with um Yeah, I actually had tickets to that fan meeting. So I got to meet everybody at that one. But this was like slightly before that. So I was meeting up with a grad school friend um, and a bunch of his buddies. Um, and we went to Kobe and we had Okonomiyaki. And I was talking to one of the girls who was there. And we like bonded over V6 because Go came to her school on Gakuiko. So I was like, oh, yeah. And I've also met Go. I met him in New York. <laughs> so, right. So we had this like moment of connection that way. Versus, like, his other buddies where I'm just like, oh, yeah, like, I speak Japanese and I like V6 and I do X, Y, and Z kind of thing. And it's just, like, where V6 is ancillary with one person 
and V6 is central with another person. And it's just, it's very different than if I were to say, oh, I like this very specific indie artist who I discovered on the internet 10 years ago who might not even still be around. Yeah, yeah, it, because it's, for the people that are in that subculture, it's automatic. You automatically have this connection with them. Um, and I do think, yeah, like, I, I feel like that's, that is the same in, for like a Johnny's and for K-pop. If you you know you're talking with someone and yeah you like you find out oh wait we both like um BAP or whatever because like if I'm out at a bar and I find out some other person likes churches right like we can have a discussion about how much we like churches in the same way that I would have a discussion with a random person at a bar who liked V6 or Shonen Tai or even Tokyo and then we would have discussions about Gusan and we're just not going to talk about that (laughs) but just just that kind of same thing right like so to sort of go back to what we were talking about earlier where we're talking about like where it's sort of a lens on a culture and a way to gain not necessarily a foothold but to start to look but to start to right but start to learn about a different culture because it was the same thing for me right like I remember at the same time in like 2005 2006 that I was starting to get into k-pop I was just like so what is the deal with North Korea what's their whole thing and I started reading more books about it and talking to write like my history advisors um in undergrad about like I want to study this thing I want to know about this thing like this quote-unquote like unserious thing and also the serious thing at the same time like there's a lot going on here that I want to understand. And maybe this, you know, to try to bring it around full circle. I mean, um, I wonder if that's the difference between sort of getting into K-pop then and getting into K-pop now where you're kind of fed the information when you have to go looking for it. You do, you're self-directed in a way, you know, you're like, well, I'm interested in this, but oh, what is the deal with that? Like, there's no one telling you. So you have to go find it out. And you can do it at your own pace and follow your own avenues of interest and kind of make connections for yourself. Whereas I think now, if you if people want people wanting to get into K-pop, they read an explainer in the Washington Post or whatever, and it's like, oh, I'm I'm being told what is the narrative. I'm being told what I need to know, and then right. they, or, and, they don't, yeah. and there's no obligation or even. There's, there's no loose ends. There's nothing you can tease out because you want to go further. It's all presented for you on a platter. This is this is what K-pop is. Right, this is what it is, right? Like, I'm getting this from, like, a very trusted source. Yeah. But also just, like, like by the same token slash at the same time, it's very much just, like, almost being a guest of the culture, mm-hmm. right? Like, I'm partaking of this thing that is not for me. Mm. So I'm going to do my best to not be an absolute dingus and to not show my entire ass here, right? I'm going to be as respectful as I can because I want to understand what this culture is about, what this music is about. I want, like, I know that I'm not the majority in this fandom. Yes. And that's, oh my God, that's such, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because now you are the majority. Every, you know, you can feel Well, like, at least oh, the, majority the majority that you, like, can connect to, right? Yes. Like, like, yes. like, are you connecting to netizens or are you connecting to Korean netizen? Like, are you connecting to articles written about what Korean netizens are saying? Yeah. I there's, feel like there's a disconnect. 
I feel like that's something else that has changed that's a little beyond the, the fans' control. This isn't something fans have done. But as it has become more mainstream outside of Korea to enjoy Korean music and media, I have noticed just a change in Koreans' attitudes towards foreigners as well. The first time I went to Korea was, I think, about 2009. And I could see over the period of even just six years that there was a very different sense of, you know, oh, there's this American and she's like curious about our culture and our music. And that was that was novel, unappreciated and supported in a way that now if you show up, they're like, oh, another foreigner who's into K-pop. That's not mm-hmm. all we are. If it's not a hostility, and I, I think it rarely is hostile, it, it's just sort of a, a fatigue or a yeah. lack of interest. They're like, we've got busy lives. We've got a lot more going on. And by this point, you should know. Like, we're not going to sit here and explain kimchi to you anymore. Like, we, we're done. You can find that on your own. Right. Like, and we're not, like, we're not excited about the fact that you can use chopsticks and eat kimchi. Like, yeah. congratulations. <laughs> you've done, you've clearly, like, you've done your research before you came to Korea. Good job. Do you want anything else? If you need anything else, press that button. I'm going to be over there. So I think there's a different sense of, of support. And I might have had a completely different relationship with Korea if, you know, I hadn't showed up naive and a little lost the first time. And it had not, I, I, I still had almost no knowledge or awareness of Korean media. I just wanted to get out of Japan after having been there for a year and a half. Like I needed a break. And I just showed up and like had trouble finding the Hanok guest house I was staying in. The owner of the guest house was at the hospital. I It was raining. I didn't know what to do. And I went to a nearby cafe and the waitress helped me out. She helped me call the guy. She helped me figure it out. We started talking and she invited me to go out to dinner. And it was like everywhere I went, people were taking care of me and giving like, because I was clearly clueless. Didn't know that I was ordering food for five people because you can't dine alone in Korea. Um, things like that. And people started talking and they either wanted to practice their English or their Japanese. And it was just connecting with people. And as they started telling me which American media they liked, I was asking about which media they liked. And I bought their recommendations before I went back to Japan. That got things rolling. But I don't think people would react that way today. Nope. I I think I'd have been left on my own in a cafe to figure it out. Or Well, like... Like, even when I went to see you in 2014, right, like, it was, a compl- like, it was different enough from when I was there in 2012. Like, not like I was trying to play up, like, oh, I'm study K-pop. But I was very much trying to justify my interest in Korea as a deakwonsei, right, like, yeah. as a grad student of Korea studying this as a serious thing mm-hmm. instead of just, like, oh, I like K-pop. Like, again like as an ancillary interest it's just like yeah i'm a korea studies grad student and i do this thing also i happen to listen to k-pop that's just the thing that i do yeah that is very much my struggle as well is it's almost a negative when people find out that i i specialize in this because they assume it's just a shallow fan's interest and it's very hard to be like no I, i can tell you things about like Chosun family law. Uh, I I know Korea. I just happen to be interested in this current, you know, diplomatic endeavor of 
using media, but it's it's different now. That story is I've, I'm very fascinated by that story of that first trip to Korea, and I and I wonder too, like how. I mean, this would be like the interesting paper is like, how do ordinary Koreans feel about the fact that this is the image of their culture getting exported abroad? And it and the the blowback of that is the clueless Westerner in like, you know, dated club gear that's sort of marketed as K-pop gear. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, everyone, everyone listening to this knows exactly what I'm talking about the pants with like the little like things on them um and whatever you know that like no one in korea wears this right all of a sudden you get this like wave of tourists who are telling you oh no korea is bts and you're like oh okay um yeah i I would just be very curious like you know and that's one thing i keep thinking about whereas we're talking about like oh bts is korea's pride it's like, I just keep thinking about, like, okay, but according to whom? Yeah. And again, like, you can't necessarily just say, like, oh, this is something that all Koreans think, because that's just, that's not something you're necessarily going to agree on, unless you're talking about Dokdo. But I, I can tell you that Sai was not Korea's pride, and he blew past how many records and really got uh, an unprecedented degree of attention for Korea. Like, he yeah. was a big deal. He was yeah. not Korea's pride, though. They no, already exactly. like size music. I was he was just there. I was living there, and I had friends like messaging me over there, like, "Hey, have you heard this song? Like, this song is everywhere in the United States. It was on the radio in the U.S. before I before I even heard it." And I was literally living two subway stations from Gangnam. This was just not a thing at the time. So, yeah. like, that's the thing where I'm just like, okay. You're saying, like, X, Y, and Z, but is this a thing that's indicative of what you think? Or is this a thing that's indicative of what actual literal literal Koreans would well, say? I mean, that's the Orientalism that we talked about last exactly. time. Exactly. You know, telling, yes. telling the East what the East is. And I've, I've definitely told this story before, but I'll tell it again now. But when I was in Seoul in 2019, um, and I was... Uh, hanging out with a friend a Korean friend there and we were in the subway and we had just been like gossiping about like show business stuff and blah 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 and like she likes winter so like she's not unfamiliar with idols um (laughs) we passed like a advertisement for um BTS's Jimin and she's kind of like who is this (laughs) like well that's BTS's Jimin she's like oh I see it everywhere like is this exactly like if I'm going to like even when we were walking around Myeongdong, right? Like seeing all these different groups, I'm just like I don't recognize any of these children. Yeah. Like none of you have like any reference point in my brain, and I was just here two years ago. But I think, and we've talked about this before, Stephen. I know this is something that you've talked about about just the constant like remaking of what both what the Korean korean image is and then what k-pop is Mm. oh yeah i wrote a paper on this this i could talk about i I think it's it's starting to level off and and hit a different point because of that fragmentation of the bands i don't think you see the same like massive shared reaction like when 
when you had the Kumminam, the flower boys, and then it switched to like the Jim Sungdol, like beast idols, like you saw, <laughs> um, which was just a glorious phase to watch. Oh, it was boy. So, oh, it's boy. still not the best music, but oh, the best time. I'm uh, having recovered memories of abs that I did not think <laughs> well, were I mean, still I there mean, in my brain, and yet there they I've are. I've been sitting here thinking about like the, the referencing and the reaction, and I'm like, I, I, there are people who eat real brownies and they don't remember the real brownie ad that started the chocolate abs with 2 p.m. No. bursting out of the advertisement. <laughs> like, I need to go lay on the floor for a while. <laughs> I love 2 you, Have I mentioned uh, how happy I am that 2PM came back? Please, 2PM, always come back. I remember, no, I remember being on my computer, refreshing everything, like every single site when Jay Park was having to leave Korea. Uh, like, that's how old I am. Because I was, like, <laughs> I followed them with Wild Bunny and I was just like, yes, like, Gyopo, he's going to go over there. He's going to, wait, what? <laughs> Oh, but but he made the comeback of all comebacks, and that oh, he did. It's well, only separate podcast. No, exactly. Like um, what? Like what role did Jay Park play in this? But please continue. Sorry, I'm. But but my whole thing about even bringing up the the glory of the Jim Sung Dol uh, is that uh, as soon as you went from the Flower Boy image to the Beast Idol image, you you saw all the bands had to respond. Even the ones that were totally the flower boys suddenly had to, like the demand for every idol to have the perfect body and to constantly show off abs. That was not easy to resist. Even Super Junior had to find like at least three members to have abs <laughs> to flash. Like it became a requirement and like you started to see uh, changes and it it wasn't just a few bands carving out their own space. You had a massive response. Everyone had to sort of fit new requirements rather than breaking off into like different niches and genres. I, I don't think that happens in the same way anymore. I think it I and think it, it it kind of does. I mean, you have things like the tropical house wave that like swept through and like everyone had to have a tropical house hit. You know, and now you have like this dynamite wave of like everyone has to have like a response to or a dynamitey kind of song. Like I think But they have... don't have names. Yeah, that's you true. had the Kumminam and then you had the Jim Zungdol and you were you were a flower boy or you were a beast idol and there yeah. was this like thing. And after that it just became like there were trends, but it wasn't it wasn't quite as as, as tight and labeled. Um, so that sense of having a shared vocabulary, uh, I think is something that has changed. And when you don't have the shared vocabulary, like you have, everyone had to have a tropical house hit. Yes. But you didn't have all the shows pulling out the exact same elements as if it was part of the identity mm. either. Jim Sung Dol is who you were. Right. Tropical house hit is a song you made. It's not the sum of who you are. Because like, a significant percentage of comments Ok Taekyung was making in public were about 
how he was being molded into being a beast idol. Like, he wasn't just doing it. He was talking about how he was being pushed into that mold. And it was being, you know, very upfront articulated. He's like, I represent anger. This is my angry face. And then he makes the angry face at the camera while holding a poster of him making an angry face. But he's like, but I can also be a happy, cute bunny. Look at me. Look at my ears. Look at me hop in a giant onesie. And that was kind of like out there on the surface and they were not taking themselves seriously. I, one thing that I don't enjoy as much about K-pop now is I feel like, I feel like they take themselves a little more seriously. I feel like I'll probably get shot for this, but I feel like BTS takes themselves a little more seriously than bands did in like 2008, 2009. Oh, 100%. And it's not, yeah, you're like, not it's gonna not get a well show out yeah. of BTS. You're just, you're not gonna do it. And no. I don't think happen. they're being humiliated on variety shows in the way that every right. other band was. You're not gonna, yeah, you're not gonna get the version <laughs> of Dirty Eyed Girls that you got in. I don't even want to remember what year it is because it's going to make me feel too old with 2 a.m. and 2 p.m. singing Brown Eyed Girls, Abracadabra. Oh, yeah. Remember that? Yeah. But that's the shared vocabulary, too, where, yeah. where those 2 a.m., 2 p.m., they knew that fans would know those songs. And I think that in today, because fans are so siloed now, I, I don't think they would. And, and I know, um, like, Winter, Winter covered a Blackpink song uh, in their last sort of concert tour, like, at 2019. Um, and, and they would do, like, fun stuff like that. But... And Astro has done it, but the response wasn't like it just, I don't know. Like, I feel like fans today, I think they don't, especially in the West and like outside of um, Korea, like they, they can't expect that, that, that the fans have that shared vocabulary, that they know these songs, that they know what it's referencing. Um, yeah, I, I think that it does come back to that shared vocabulary. On one of my trips to Korea, I think it was when my sister had just arrived there, um, I went to meet her and every store we went to was playing Taeyang's I Need a Girl. Girl. We heard it so many times in just one afternoon that I turned to my sister and I said, will someone find this man a girl for the love of <laughs> God? I need some peace and quiet. Like, no, I love the song. But like, I can only listen to it so many times an hour and like everywhere. And I think that's part of the reason you hear that, like of all the artists I know, 
I feel like Big Bang is the one that I most frequently see being referenced at random in other songs and in dramas. Like, how many times have I heard another song's lyrics say, like, I think Dumbfounded, like, she wants a wedding dress, but I ain't Young," Or um, Tiger JK has referenced the song Wedding Dress as well, or, or some other Young song. Like, you hear all of these references to these Big Bang mega hits, and I, I don't think it's that Big Bang is inherently the best and therefore the most referenced. I think it's about the way that they were constantly played and the way that they had key phrases and, and lines and associations that were easy to to pull and use in other places. Um, uh, other things like G-Dragon pushing the boundaries with his fashion, it makes more sense that in in dramas when the 40-year-old guy is trying on skinny jeans to impress a girl and his friend's like, what, you think you're G-Dragon? No, take them off. You're 40. You get more of those spontaneous references, which are so much more rewarding because they seem more random. When you have that super high visibility and constant repetition to start with. And I feel like that's a lot of what's missing when we say that, you know, it's not interreferenced in the same way. It's that you It's partly the media outlets not repeating it, but it's also, I think, something about the song in the look doesn't have that one gimmicky thing to latch onto to easily reference. I think the only one I would say, other than Big Bang, is Taman. Because, you, oh, yeah. Yeah, like VVS yeah. that came out last year that was a hit, um, there was a lyric that was like, Move like Taman. Yeah. And I think he's the only other one really. But again, like look who's look who's doing dome tours in Japan. Um Taman was on the verge of it. But yeah, it's like um Daesung from Big Bang doing dome tours in Japan. It's like these are the they have such strong images and they're you know, and they have the music to back it up and they have the connection with the fans. I mean, these are their I don't think you're going to get superstars like Big Bang out of K-pop. Um, just the way that, you know, the way that things are kind of trending right now. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but has BTS been the host of a variety? Like, Daesung was a host. He was on no. shows. He was known. Even Itook, who was, like, not the strongest member of Super Junior, but he was one of the most visible from his role in variety shows that's yeah bts stopped going on korean television after 2016 basically that's what i thought yeah. i wasn't sure if they had changed that since no. i've not been keeping up with their television appearances or media appearances um I, I feel like bts has always had a much more american focus i think they've chosen a very different path from the beginning sm entertainment has been really strong on china and japan and they've seen japan pay off for them Big china time. less so yeah. um yg has its own different approach i mean a very different way to get into japan but different companies different countries but most of them have focused on a strong domestic presence and then simultaneously or after foreign presence it's it's pretty rare to focus so intently on a foreign market and particularly um one that's not china or japan 
well, or even like the, Philippines or Thailand. To the exclusion of the domestic market, I think right. it's so and it is. It's extremely unusual to just totally ignore the domestic market. It is odd that you know the that they really they their recognition in Korea came from the fact that they did have this sort of surge of interest in America. And that's, I think that's extremely unusual for a K-pop group. Yeah, I, like, I think it's very unique, yes. Yeah, no, I, I do want to say two things. One is that SM's strategy in Korea has been baffling at best <laughs> because they had artists like Jung Mi-in who were just fantastic and they could have done so many beautiful things with her, especially considering just how well her voice was suited for the Chinese market. I don't know if anyone else has ever listened to Chinese pop songs, but it requires, they're beautiful, but they require a certain amount of patience, almost, just in how emotive they can be compared to other songs. But like, so you had like Jung Mi-in on stuff like the holiday albums for SM in like 2007, 2008, where she was singing just beautiful versions like Oh Holy Night. And then she had like one or two albums in in China, and then nothing after that. So I just, I don't know what their whole deal is. So I feel like BTS sort of focusing on America was, I don't want to say like, like it was smart marketing on their part, but it just, it almost feels like, and I'm absolutely going to get murdered for this, timing and circumstance, both linking up to give them that leg up we can be murdered together because <laughs> I mean, I, I will don't tell you down with this ship. I like, have no doubt that. Look, it. I'm not saying that they don't have talent and appeal, or that they don't work hard. They have I, their assets and attributes, but there was a path that had been cleared, not for them, but by the hard work of many people. And if you had been in this community and you had watched. Rain and Seven and to some extent even like Big Bang. There was Big Bang and so many people. I mean, Big Bang was covered in like Gawker and their you know their concerts are getting written up in the New York Times and the L.A. Times. Like Mm -hmm. it's you know it's it wasn't a complete unknown landscape for sure. And even had they not made significant. advancements in the U.S. market, even if no one had attempted the U.S. market before, I still don't think it is fair to ignore the benefits of coming in in the year that they did, when K-pop had already established a certain level of respect and a reputation for quality in other markets in Asia and in Europe. Like, it's ridiculous to isolate the response of the United States from the response of the world. It's it's not the whole story, but it is certainly an element that contributes. So right, the like timing not, yeah. still matters. The timing. Like you're not gonna ha- yeah. You're not gonna have the like you're not gonna have BTS's like blow up in the US without stuff like SM Town in New York. Right? Like their whole world tour where that was the first thing where they're like, okay guys, we're really gonna do this, but you gotta show up and show out for this. Anthropologists have completed several studies that that show a strong relationship between uh, an appreciation for a country's food and an appreciation for a country's media. So 
um, the Korean government has definitely had campaigns to spread Korean food to other countries. Um, we've seen an increase in the availability and popularity of Korean food in the U.S. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there has been a steady increase in Korean TV shows available through a variety of different U.S. streaming outlets. Yeah, and like I, neither I, I, of those I are separate from the K-pop. So this argument I, that BTS did it all on their own—it's—it's it's a yeah. pretty extreme. No, I like I have clients who like I had a client last year who's now a buddy of mine because we have a bunch of mutual friends, but also like when she was like oh, you studied in Korea. Have you ever watched Crash Landing on you? And I was like, uh, no. Should I? Where she was like, she was way more in tune with this. I have a degree in this. Like, I mean, I feel like thing. of all dramas, that would be your thing. It is entirely my thing. And I Eris was like, okay, in a, Korea. No, my That's response really was cute. like, A, I have not watched this, but B, I need to. And C, have you ever watched The King Two Hearts? I, I know, but finally we get to watch a drama like this, and it doesn't have to star Lee Sung Yi. Thank you. Thank, <laughs> Thank you, you heaven. Jesus. You have done beautiful <laughs> things for us. Blessings. Oh, because King Two Hearts, let's be honest, Lee Sung Yi was like the Jesus. worst part of that drama. And I don't, is, <laughs> if there is an Lee Sung Yi fandom, you can come at me, because I stand by it. Like, Yo, I had a buddy who was an Lee Sung Yi fan, and who was even like, no, look, he's a piece of shit. <laughs> but I love him anyway. But this is still where we're at. What was like? What was our comrade's name? Our beloved comrade. Do you remember? Who oh. loved SNSD against his will? <laughs> oh, I remember. Oh, I forget. Have you ever seen was, this? Have you ever so, seen this drama? That's the it's the best so, part of the drama. It's so perfect. <laughs> Find our old blog because Bridget at least did no, a good. No, I like. I, I no, like, I have thing. it. So I had to deactivate it because I was like, okay, we're not doing anything with this. I'm not paying for the hosting right now, but I saved everything and and we can bring it back up. But I just, I just, I just want to spend an entire podcast series talking about how beautiful that drama was. Just in terms of just. Did I tell you that I literally ran into Isengi? No, wait. No, you need to tell this story. This is okay. So like my first awareness of Isengi was (laughs) as the spokesman for Mr. Pizza. (laughs) which I would go to with my sister and the walls were literally wallpapered with like Mr. Pizza loves women so tone was already a bit weird and creepy and we're like but do women love Mr. Pizza because it's a lot and like there was just pictures of Isengi everywhere and like I didn't know who he was because I was blissful back then and my sister and I just referred to him as like the Mr. Pizza guy with the creepy smile who was always staring at us everywhere. <laughs> like, that was my frame of reference for him. Um, and then later, as I actually was studying Korean media as part of my grad studies, I, of course, knew who he was and saw him a lot more. And he, like, maybe it was the dramas he chose. I'm going to try and make this impersonal, but he did not grow on me. <laughs> there was... If anything, more frustration than affection. Listen, so, there are a lot of rules that Isengi took that were a lot of lovable scumbag rules. There was a lot and of I'm scum. I'm not going to make excuses for that. So, like, I, 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 I do had... love a lovable scumbag. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it's oh, not my favorite. He played that one up in this one. Let me tell you that. But, like, on this day, years later, I, I met a friend at Mr. Pizza. And I was 
just telling her, like, I was so frustrated by all of these people I talked to who kept asking me if I'd met all these different K-pop stars because I was in Korea. And I'm like, you don't just run into them. Like, it's not that big a country, but it's not like you just bump into them. And one minute later, as we were walking out of Mr. Pizza, I, like, bump into a guy. My eyes don't even focus. And I'm like, uh, okay, <laughs> whatever. Rude. <laughs> and then my friend is just like, that was Isungi. And I get this idiotic grin because I just said you don't run into people, and then I do. And then I saw Mr. Pizza Isungi at Mr. Pizza, and it just seemed like the perfect moment of circumstance. And then in that moment of smiling at fate, I was falsely accused of being an Isungi fan and um, could not convince her otherwise. And I've never quite lived down that accusation. But um, <laughs> it was just a very weird moment. But in terms of meeting celebrities, I would say I have not. That is not my purpose or goal. And it has not happened by coincidence. My background is with Bollywood. So, I mean, I spent years and years, uh, that was my entry point really into like Asian, like mass culture, like of like domestic culture. Um, and I mean, I, I saw Bollywood change from, you know, really uh, industry aimed at both domestic audiences and diaspora to a more like globalized financialized industry I mean I think much to the detriment of the product it's producing but um I definitely saw a lot of those same kind of tensions play out in the English-speaking fandom as well that you know we've been talking about this whole like two hours but um <laughs> but one of the one of the things that you know you you do like you can take if you're me or you or Stevie, um, you can take like the entry into that media and then use it to pry open like just a view of, of a different culture, like as a guest, right. as a, a tourist, essentially, you know, but some, but you know, you, you, I don't know, just like the things I would notice, like why, you know, who are these characters that are always the comedians? And, you know, you realize that, like, oh, wait a minute, like, <laughs> there's this huge culture gap between North and South. And then um, I started watching, like, South Indian films, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like, you can 
dig in even deeper and and you know see that same culture gap from the other side and you can um even get into like the differences and and like i mean i've seen films that like hinge on the fact that there's a, a culture gap between like tamil speaking people and like telugu speaking people and and right and if you don't dig all the way down through all the layers to that very local very domestic focused lens like I don't know you're just watching colors and and music and that's fine it's 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 almost like it's almost like the modern versions of like pictures in an exhibition yes yes yeah and like I was just sort of having this conversation with a friend who's opening a business that's child focused but that's very much just like trying to expose kids to the world in general and the world outside of their own context but to not fall into that museumification trap and like I believe that she was doing it this way like to not fall into that trap but like the idea that like when you see like if I go to a museum and I see something behind glass there's an immediate disconnect between the two things. So being able to make a more personal connection between me and the thing is how I sort of felt K-pop was. And I don't want to get all nostalgic for it because it has its own problems. And there's a lot to say about Orientalism and conspicuous consumption and all these other things. But, um, right, like, finding that in and then being able to be a guest in a certain culture and to say, oh, this is how it's done over here. I'm going to respect what's going on versus I'm going to say this is what this means to other people. Right, like, trying to avoid falling into that, both the museumification where you're othering people and you're saying, okay, you're over here, right? Like you have, like, I can take what you have and I can bring it into my context, but I can leave your context over here. And then I can tell you what that context is, right? So I've got museumification on this side and I've got Orientalism on this side. Yeah, there is definitely an element of of that museumification looking at k-pop yeah especially if you're looking at it from the lens of being a journalist which absolutely no shade to journalists you do very important work but if you're trying to understand a phenomenon from outside of the phenomenon like so this is a thing that i remember being talked about a lot in my like intro to cultural anthropology class back in God, it was 2007, where my professor had talked a lot about being like an insider into a culture. So what benefit does that give you? But then what hindrance do you have, right? Like you've got this lens, but you've also got these blinders on. So like, so where do you take off the blinders? And where does that lens give you an advantage to understand what's going on? So for people who are embedded, for lack of a better term, in the K-pop fandom, especially people who've been here for longer than five minutes, right, we can understand sort of where this has come from 
and sort of what this means in a broader context. But we also, we have our own sort of blinders that, I don't know, like everybody has their sort of lenses on how they view things. So friends of mine who got into K-pop like 2014 to present will have very different views on what I, as a very old person in K-pop will say versus some random journalist who's been assigned this their editor says hey explain K-pop yeah because if you if you got into fandom as I think all of us did maybe before there was a big three that gives you a very different uh, I don't know I feel like you're just looking no. at or before even that idol right, or even like when there was a big three right like yeah all you had was the big three so you remember groups like cube coming up you remember big hit becoming a thing right like you remember um like i remember beast coming up and being like oh look a group who's not sm yg jyp jyp yeah yeah that's how old i am but Although Beast just, is you know, the grandchild of JYP, because right, yeah, well, it so was but, big hit through Rain, right? Was... But or even um, got Hyuna, yeah, yeah. right. But it, I mean, right. it used to be like I mean, when when we joined, like with Full House, like you know, they didn't K-pop wasn't necessarily like groups and stuff. Like you could have like these. I mean, it was these big. It was Boa. It was Rain. It was Seven, and there were Go groups me, also. Day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and I think that that's also a big change, you know, where yeah. some of these things that weren't necessarily solidified have become solidified as hard and fast rules. There's a big three. Right. There, you know, you have to have a group, and your group has to have a rapper, and it has to right. have a visual, and, group, and it like, has to if, have... Right. It's all been codified in a yeah, way that and it wasn't. And if someone's going to go solo, they have to have been a part of a group before that. Yeah, you can't just have just a solo. Story. Having been a solo artist, right, exactly. Yeah. Like, that's just, that's not a thing that's done anymore. And if someone is a solo artist, oh, they've just been basically grandfathered in. Yeah. Right? Like, if Boa's showing up on shows, right, she's showing up as Boa. Right, and not that there's not Korean pop soloists, there totally are, but they're not, it, they, they, it's not K-pop. That's also the economics of it, though, for those companies and how they were managing uh, the investment of their funds and pooling resources into a group, the increasing the group's chance of success. I think that's I mean, I think there's just a lot of frustrating nickel and dime business sense dictating a lot of those choices and trends uh, as the companies were looking to increase profits in a market that had a lot more competition. I, I don't know. Uh, it's it's a lot easier to raise someone in a group and then have them go solo than to risk everything on a solo artist making it or not. Well, in these days, there's a lot more money to be made selling seven versions of a CD because you you're you want to get one with everybody's face on it or seven versions of a cd because you want to get the photo card of your favorite and there's mm -hmm. 13 members in the group and you don't know <laughs> which mm -hmm. one you know so you have to buy 20 cds because you want yeah. to get that one card and you have a one in 13 chance of like yeah and then one. there's this whole like selling culture in k-pop that just did not exist like even 10 years ago right like people sold their stuff yeah but it was very much just like oh i'm moving 
I need to sell this stuff. Or, you know what, I'm not as into this group anymore. I need to sell this. Versus now it's just like, oh, I'm a collector and I need to collect every single fucking thing of this group. Yeah. And yeah, and it's like photo cards and stuff, which is kind of, yeah. I mean, in the old days, you would have, yeah, like people were moving. They're like, I'm going to sell my posters because. Right. I want yeah, someone. I want that. someone I've to have them. They're like buying stuff from people in Singapore, where it's just like, yeah. oh, I'm selling a lot of magazines that feature Matsujun, and I'm like, I enjoy Matsujun. I will pay for shipping. <laughs> Please ship those things to me halfway across the globe. Yeah. I will treasure them forever. Yeah, because you, because I think a lot of people, even when they graduate for, as being fans, um, when the fan, pen pengyo, pengyo, and you know they they you're graduating from being a fan. And you still treasure this stuff, but you don't necessarily want to have it, but you want it to go to a good home. Right. Exactly. And I think you'd get a lot of that. And now yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's like you get, it's like a collector selling right. and like a beanie, it's a beanie baby market, essentially. You know, I'm with, I'm with this card because it's worth, it's worth X amount of dollars. I'm having like flashbacks to all that, but it's exactly that. It's just very much just like, I can get X value for this card, Right, like seeing tweets of people like, oh, when I die, I want to make sure my family sells my goods for what they're worth. So I'm putting <laughs> what they're worth on the back of each thing. And I'm like, your yeah. family in their deepest, darkest grief is not going to go on your Instagram and sell these things for you. But <laughs> you know what? If it helps you sleep at night, then God bless you. Just you thinking know. about how many freebies I got from Korean skincare stores and places over the years that I was like I'm not into this band (laughs) (laughs) well I mean but that goes Uh, again to like the personal connection thing because you know at the end of the day and maybe this is kind of a good place to sort of you know leave this conversation but you know at the end of the day without that personal connection like a light stick is just a piece of plastic right because I have a um one of those little big bang like uh, light crown ones? the crown ones yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I left the batteries in it and it totally corroded and I should get rid of it but I just can't because that concert was so much fun and mm-hmm. I just like I look at it and I'm just brought right back to being all like sweaty and like yelling for top and it's like you know that memory is there in that light stick but yeah when I go my family is not going to uh you know sell that for $500 or whatever. Like, right. It's, it's just like a, we're not going to get market value for that. They're going to look at this and, and they're going to go, it's a piece of plastic. What? Right. Get rid of it. <laughs> what was the whole thing? Like I've joked with friends, like when I die, you're going to get this stuff, right? Like, cause you're going to understand a, what it's worth. Yeah. But B, you're not just going to throw it in the trash. Yeah. Because I spent way too much on shipping <laughs> and way too much on trips getting this from foreign countries. Well, we'll, we can end. Anyone want to throw out a song to end on? Uh, what have we been talking about? I I nominate Block Be Her. Oh, that's always a good choice. Yeah, because right. you got me hooked on that song. And it's never going to leave my brain with their little advertisements about stuff. Well, then <laughs> let's... <laughs> we'll call I mean, it yeah, like I, w- I would nominate Taman, but I was like, I was a... I was buddies with a girl who was really into Taman. Uh-huh. When he was a very, very awkward member of Shiny. Oh, his little bowl cut. <laughs> when he was just oh, so such a baby. I'm saying, Nuna no Mu Yippo is always a good choice. Nuna no Mu Yippo. 
I remember introducing the songs to my friends in Korea who were Korean, and I was like, "Listen to me, I love Shiny, and I, I'm, I'm technically a Nuna, and I don't like how targeted I am by this song." So my same friend that I was telling you about, who bought me the Big Bang Haru Haru, like special edition, I like told him like, "Listen." I don't want to like shiny because they're like 12 years old, but I really like this song. All right. Yeah. Maybe we yeah. Can, well, we can... especially Ding Dong like, was. Ding oh my god, was everything that made ding, 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 I hated ding, ding, and ding, loved ding, about K-pop. It was I remember texting a friend of mine like, "I don't want to like shiny, but they have, but they have the doobop." Oh, let me get shiny. a doobop, doobop, That was. Oh. That whole first album and like Amigo when they came out with the special edition, like yes. that was my like prime like Korean music sharing days when I was in like Yongwingi and like sharing all that music and then like following them throughout the years are just like gets me. So yeah, I would I would say shiny or Blondie. Which one? Worn me down over Chinese has worn me down over oh it they've been it's right? been over they're just, a decade they're there. It's been, since their they're debut. There. It's just been slowly chipping away at my resistance. And now I feel like I have to love Taemin just because he's been with me for so I, long. I have friends who have like, so like they got into Taemin as part of Super M. And I'm like, that's oh, honey, you have no idea. That is wild. That to me, that's, that is that's wild. A, oh, that's, that a, is, that's a lens onto Taemin that yeah. um, I'm not sure. <laughs> I I don't I don't know. Um well we could go out with uh a little ring. Oh wait, ring I remember ding, dong, I was ring, ding, ding, dong. Oh which one? Ding, ding, ding. Oh my god. I was looking here, give me like three seconds. Yeah. So like when I was living in Beijing, winter and fix were my like commuting music. I love winter so much. So God, what did I listen to? Um it was definitely Winner was the one that I listened to more. I would say Winner, Shiny, or because we've done a big. Have we done a Big Bang song? We're gonna we're, we're gonna open with Big Bang. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll trust your judgment on anything else, but definitely like any of those that era. All right. Well, I'll I'll send us off with something then. Yeah. No, you're good. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Hey! Hey!